Welcome to Making Waves, a show about sound art, produced by New Adventures in Sound Art. On today's show, we are playing back the first presentation of the 2022 Deep Wireless Festival of Radio and Transmission Art. It took place on Sunday, February 6th, with Claude Schreier at the new NASA North Media Art Center, a building recently purchased by New Adventures in Sound Art. Schreier presents his new piece, Winter Diary Revisited. It's a radio documentary honoring the work of R. Murray Schaefer, who passed away last August. Schaefer's writing and the research he undertook with the World Soundscape Project uh, together were foundational to the development of the field of acoustic ecology. Schreier goes back to Schaefer's diaries that he was keeping in the late 90s when the two worked together on a production for West German radio called A Winter Diary. The piece we'll listen to today forms episode 99 of Claude Schreier's Conscient Podcast series. Before and after the piece today, we'll listen to comments and discussion that took place at NASA between Claude Schreier, James Bailey, and Victoria Fenner. Uh, how this piece came about, I was asked to write a remembrance piece uh, about Murray, a personal one, and I chose to, to talk about or to use um, uh, a a project we used, we did 25 years ago called Winter Diary. Uh, and what happened is that Murray wrote an essay after our trip that I, I, I'd forgotten about and I found in my archives and it's a beautiful piece of writing and that's what I've used as a narration for this piece. I've re-recorded winter sounds based on what Murray is saying but also the kinds of sounds that I like. So it's a composition based on a text by Murray Schaefer. It was not intended to be a narrative for a radio piece but Lo and behold, you have a great writer and a great thinker in Murray Schaefer, and so I, I had the great fortune to have uh, his widow, um, um, Eleanor James, give me permission to use the text. So thank you, Eleanor. And what else? I've been here in residence, and being an artisan's residence is a lot of fun. I was telling people last night that uh, it's a it's a it's a gift to be able to be. Uh, totally committed to a creative process for a, a period of time where there's no distractions, as good tools. And so what I did this week is not only record some of my missing sounds, I, I did the final edit and the final mix, and I also had time to do nothing. And so I got ideas and I, I listened back and I thought about it. So it, it really was a, a great opportunity to, to go deeper into the creative process. So I have a 40 minute composition that I think is pretty final. Uh, I could tweak it a bit, but I, I've been working on it for three months now, so I'm, I need a break. <laughs> so what you're going to hear is this 24-minute intro, uh, the 40-minute piece, and then there's a little three minutes of credit because there's lots of people I want to thank, and I, I did it in the, in the video with a, a, a piece I wrote. You'll see there's a bit of background music. So what else? I want to acknowledge that we're in the uh, uh, traditional territory of the Anishinaabe people. I mentioned that yesterday. I'll mention it again today. I'm originally from North Bay, um, but did not, when I was a youth, have a lot of contact with the, the local indigenous communities. I, I have more now, um, but I, it's really important for me to recognize where I am. Uh, I'm in the process of decolonizing myself, and so not only that awareness of, of place, but also um, the, the, the impact of settler culture on indigenous people is something that I, I think and act about uh, as much as I can. And so that recognition is uh, part of um, of everything I do and uh, the decolonization uh, is also ongoing. 
the composition of this piece um, has an ethical dimension. There's Dylan Robinson wrote an interesting book called Hungry Listening, uh, where where there's a debate about whether we even have the right to record whatever we want. You know, uh, are the birds consenting to our recording them? Well, you know, they speak in their own language. Um, I feel that I can do it to a certain extent, but there there is there is a, always a question of the source material and your relationship to it. So. In, in Murray's thinking, it's a lot about listening. It's a lot about being aware of where you are, how you interact with space. Um, and so that's what I kept in mind in composing the pieces. You know, what did I learn from Murray uh, when we did this pretty crazy trip in 1997? We were, there was 10 days of recording. I don't know how many hours. I kept all the dat tapes. Um, and uh, it ended up being a, an hour long piece. And it was a, not just a journey into recording, but spending that much time with Murray, I learned a lot about how he, how he listens, how he you know, reaches into a sound or stands back. And when we did some of the exercises in, in the forest and in the space, it was really fascinating to see how, how he, he um, knows how to um, make, uh, to interact with space and to, to create then uh, either music or radio, uh, with with those uh, with the, the elements of the environment, including silence, which you'll see, you'll hear. Where were you geographically when you did that first set of pieces? Uh, well, we went. Uh, the question is, where, where were we when we did the piece? We we went to we, we arrived in Winnipeg and we did um, mostly around Winnipeg, not so much in the cities. So we went to um, Brandon, we went to Souris, we went to. Um, small communities, we went into restaurants, into, um, we talked to people, we went into, um, we recorded a lot of trains and trucks, trains and trucks and trains and trucks. <laughs> I caught a couple of trains just around here in Deep River, um, but they're hard, they're notoriously hard because you have to wait there with your, you know, it's minus 20 and there's a truck coming and the level's okay and then the truck goes back and you're all distorted and you have to wait for the next one. <laughs> We had a lot of fun. Uh, so yeah, it was in Man mostly rural Manitoba, and um, over the ten days, we. Uh, I mean, there were some surprises as well. You'll hear one of the sections he wrote about is um, is a dream sequence called Heater, and uh, it's quite lovely because he he's in an in between zone between um, listening to to the, the the heater in the in the hotel going bing 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 you know, the way they do. And then he had a song, has a song in his head. So that was one of the more challenging parts for me to, to illustrate, because I, I use the term illustration of his words with sound, um, because it's a dream sequence. So it could have been done in different ways. I, I did it one way, but uh, it was really rich. You'll see, you'll hear the, 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 the grace in his words, you know, the way he explains things and the way his, the perception. He talks about microphones a lot, which is interesting for us because we're all microphone users. We're microphone artists, really, is what we are. And so, what is the tool? How do, how does it uh, um, present depth? How do how do we uh, uh, use it in an artistic context? Here is Winter Diary Revisited by Claude Schreier. Claude Schreier came by today to plan the Winter Diary radio program for the West German radio. After dinner, we walked a quarter mile out to the road.
there was a powdering of light snow, making the landscape bright under the stars. I opened and closed the gate while Claude recorded it. Then I went to the tin mailbox and flapped the lid. Both are sounds characteristic of rural life in Canada. The flapping got the neighbor's dog barking. Then, more distantly, other dogs began to bark. Dogs were the original alarm systems in the countryside and remain so despite electronic technology. Could be a thief or a wolf out there. The message is telegraphed from farm to farm and behind every dark doorway, a farmer cocks his gun. The dogs grew silent again as we trudged back. Entering the warm house with a fire burning brightly in the grate, I suddenly realized that we had already discovered a valuable leitmotif for our program. The contrast between warm, populated rooms and the vast cold spaces that surround them during the Canadian winter. There is a painting by Cornelius Kriegoff, 1815-1872, entitled Merrymaking, that illustrates this drama between interior and exterior.
A party at the Jollifu Inn is breaking up and the revellers are spilling out to depart into the cold, snowy dawn. The drama of the scene is depicted in Bruegel style. But the contrast between hot interior and cold exterior is distinctly Canadian. The same theme recurs in our best novelists. For instance, in Frederick Philip Grove's Over Prairie Trails, 1922, or in Sinclair Ross's As For Me and My House, 1941, the contrast between interior and exterior creates the drama between society and selfhood. Marshall McLuhan summed it up epigrammatically when he said that Canadians go out to be alone and come in to be with company, while elsewhere people go out to be with company and come home to be alone. And if you're really lucky to be at a cottage in the winter, in the morning, and there's like almost no sound, and then you'll hear like a branch cracking or something. The hinge is the door. One sound characteristic of the Canadian countryside is the slap of a screen door. I've known it since my childhood. Of course, it is intended to keep the insects out of the house in summer, but out of laziness, the screen door is often left on during the winter too, as mine is. The door has a coil spring attached to it so that it will slap shut quickly. Usually, there is another contraption on the side with a hairpin spring to snap it firm. If it isn't oiled, it squeaks. So the entire sound event is actually quite complex, consisting first of a swish as the door opens, then a swoosh as it closes, followed by a residual snap as the second spring is released to hold it shut. The subject of doors could occupy a doctoral thesis or two. Every continent and climate has its own vocabulary and rhetoric of doors.
as different as the languages of the people who open and close them. Every Canadian knows the three-toned Canadian train whistle without knowing it. Tuned to an E-flat minor triad with the fundamental at 311 Hz, it's the most authoritative sound mark of the country. curiously analogous to the Yellow Bell or Huang Chang, which established the tuning for all music in the golden days of ancient China. The legend goes that when the tuning of the Yellow Bell was abandoned, the empire would fall into ruin. Something like that is happening here. For today, more and more train whistles are out of tune. And with the building of overpasses and tunnels, urban dwellers rarely ever hear them. Canadian railroads all run east-west. As the authority of the railroad vanishes, the east-west axis gives way to a south-north bias. For example, American invasion. Eventually, in the far distance, we hear the L-14 whistle, the signal for a level crossing, long, long, short, long. Which, incidentally, is also the rhythm of the opening phrase of the Canadian National Anthem.
It is warmer today than yesterday, and a heavy fog lies over the snow, so that the acoustic horizon surpasses the visual. Frederick Philip Grove talks about getting lost in the fog in over-prairie trails. Then he had to rely on the instinct of his horses. I had become all ear. Even though my buggy was silent and though the road was coated with a thin film of soft clay mud, I could distinctly hear by the muffled thud of the horses' hooves on the ground that they were running over a grade. That confirmed my bearings. So now I was close to the three-farm cluster. I listened intently again for the horses' thump. Yes, there was that muffled hoofbeat again. I was on the last grade that led to the angling road across the corner of the marsh. What would the prairies be without wind? It's the keynote sound here. The one against which everything else is registered. But to record it? Impossible. The microphone hasn't yet been invented to effectively record nature's most elementary sounds. The mistake in recording the environment is in trying to pull a huge spread of events far and near in all directions into a single focus. The soundscape isn't stereophonic. It's spherical. The stereophonic preoccupation in recording results from stereoscopy 
rather than any real understanding of the listening experience in which one is always at the center. One would like the microphone to observe the same respect for figure ground that our ears do, elevating those sounds we wish to receive and suppressing those we don't. But of course the microphone is not an ear and everything is registered according to its amplitude only. Could we imagine a future microphone? With a discrimination circuit to allow us to reproduce the wished-for soundscape rather than the real one? Or is that merely another form of pathetic fallacy that only the romantic recordist could hope for? And here's an example of a sound that so delicate that the microphone picks it up better than the human ear. The value of the microphone is that it presents simply what is there. The tape recorder puts a frame around it often astonishing us with the sound events our real ears have missed. Claude confesses his excitement for recording. He is almost like a fighter pilot seeking out the enemy, the elusive sound object, slating his various dives at the material we've targeted for a take. hoping the desired event will occur on cue, wondering whether to stalk it silently or prompt it or forget it and seek another campaign. So many things can go wrong, he says excitedly. Ruefully, I agree. When Murray and I recorded Winter, Diary in 1997. We heard a lot of different winter sounds, but not cross-country skiing. And it is a typical sound of winter in Canada, and a very rich one. You can hear me skiing now, as well as people skiing beside me. People who live by the sea know how the color of the water changes constantly. But one has to live with a long winter to know the perpetual changes in the sound as well as the color of snow. And skiing sounds have a number of different elements. There's the, the push and the pull of the ski and the poles that hit into the snow and of course the breath of the skier and sometimes You can hear the wind in the trees. 
snowmobile in the distance. Even the lapse of an hour can alter it profoundly and the experienced listener can pinpoint the temperature by the sound of his footsteps in it. On the cold night it screeches. Sometimes a crust will build up to produce a crunchy quality, or even several crusts separated by layers of powdery snow, giving variations of dissonance with each step. We always take the most ordinary sounds for granted. Assuming cars to be universal, we forget that they sound different in different environments.
on a country highway, we recorded the approach and departure of individual cars and trucks, sometimes lasting three minutes without any other sound. Where else on earth could you do that? Excursion into park. Total isolation. We realized that the only way we could give an impression of soundscape here was by making sounds ourselves. When Murray Schaefer and I did the Winter Diary, one of the sequences was uh, called Calling, where we were in the forest and listening for the reverberation in a winter space. And in that case, it was a forest, and here I am on January 11th, 2022, Gatineau Park, I'm going to try a similar experience where I'm going to walk in a circle away from the microphone and see what that sounds like. And once in a while, I'll cry, cry out like we did back then. Hey! And uh, you can hear the reverberation and the movement. And it's a way to experience a a winter soundscape by interacting with it. So here we go. So we set up the microphone in the snow and walked away from it, calling in different directions. Hey! How far is it across the valley? Hey! 
What is the difference between a bare, deciduous forest and a leafy, evergreen one? Your voice will tell you. I came out alone in the car after Claude had gone to sleep. Never had I heard the world so silent. Is it near or far, this black landscape? My own slightest movement makes it seem near. The frosted crack of a distant tree makes it vast. My breathing brings it close again. Justin Winkler pointed out that the soundscape is essentially a static term, but here it seems dynamic, increasing to an infinite volume, then shrinking right inside me as my stomach growls. I turn the ignition key and I'm startled and relieved at the same time.
my escape. Strange phenomenon this morning on waking. In my dream, I had been singing a solo song at some kind of gathering. I finished, and everyone applauded enthusiastically. I woke to hear the propane heater come on. So the conclusion of my song and heater were synchronized, but I stress that I had sung a rather lengthy song to its conclusion before the applause of the heater. I even remembered the song and sang it over again to myself while lying in bed. Had I anticipated the end of it and paced the singing to a sound that I could somehow forehear? Or had the whole event occurred in the fraction of a second as the heater came on? Spotting some children knocking down some icicles in a St. Rose du Lac, we rushed over to record them, but frightened them away. So we knocked the icicles down ourselves and then kicked them along the street. Each chunk had a different pitch and pieces when they broke into pieces, the pitch rose. I was glad to have this other form of frozen water to add to our repertoire. The sun was setting. It was totally quiet.
Eventually, the whisper of a jet aircraft became audible. It crossed the sky distantly. Its passage lasting eight minutes without any other sound interrupting it. perfect sound event in an anesthetized environment. I'd like to conclude Winter Diary Revisited, with a quote from a book Murray wrote in 1977 called Music in the Cold. Here are the last 11 lines of that book. Saplings are beginning to sprout again in the moist earth. Beneath it, animals can be heard digging their burrows. Soon, the thrush will return. The old technology of waste is gone. What then remains? The old virtues, harmony, the universal soul, hard work. I will live super-sensitized, the antenna of a new race. I will create a new mythology. It will take time. It will take time. There will be time. That was Winter Diary Revisited by Claude Schreier, heard here on Making Waves on WGXC. I was wondering, whenever I hear a historic soundscape recording, something that happened a long time ago, and especially thinking of Murray's work, going way back to the 70s and beyond then. And I wonder how his approach would be different if he was doing soundscape work now. But I wonder too, when you were doing the revisiting of the Winter Diary, were you conscious that there are sounds that would be different now? It's like a lot of them, because it's a rural environment, like you know, the sounds of the cracks of the branches and things like that would be very much the same. But 
these sounds of the cars are probably different, you know, any of the human sounds are different, but what else do you think was, was different than that original? Well, the original one was mostly rural, as you say, and I and we did a little bit of urban. I I did more urban. You probably heard that the the, the truck sirens there from the protests in Ottawa last week. You know, uh, hopefully that will pass and be a peaceful protest. We don't know yet. It's still outstanding, but that was um, a sound that I chose to capture. That's very much a, a sound of today. You know, a, a, a very powerful gathering of horns. You know. Um, but there were certainly uh, there's more rumble than I I had to go pretty far into the country to get quiet. Yeah. I found it here in the South River, but uh, it was harder. I, I you know and and then I tried not to. I mean it's a bit of a it's a bit um, of a false uh, false exercise to revisit something that was he, like, his words were from 25 years ago and he's describing things that I'm sort of illustrating. I'm hinting to. But I'm not trying to recreate, uh -huh. because that would be a different thing to exactly recreate. So, and I was puzzled by some sections. Like I didn't know what to do with the Kriegoff thing. Uh -huh. Like, so I got my my family to go, <laughs> to just you know do go outside, and it was fun. And I got you guys to do a little applause scene for the heater scene, and and so they're more like sketches, right? Yeah. Um, because if you were to do it right, you you have to spend a year or you know, a long time recording the sounds just right. And then you'd never get it right because the text is, is kind of, it kind of flows, you know, it goes from here. So I was okay with the messiness of certain sequences that are just uh, uh, like, um, they point to potential readings of his words, but his words to me were so rich uh, and anecdotal, but also poetic, that all I had to do is not mess up his words <laughs> and I could, we'd come out, you know, with a good listening experience, which I tried. That's why there's silence. Like the microphone scene, I had done a whole processing of this beautiful kind of resonant thing, but it just distracted from the words. And I said, well, let, let's just hear about microphones and then we'll experience microphones. I mean, one of my favorite parts is when I read that uh, little part from um, uh, where he's in the interview talking about microphones. I, I, I read it out, so I'm about 50 feet away from the microphone. And you know, a distant sound is blah, 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 blah. Oh, right, yeah, yeah. I, I love that, because that really gives an idea of, of dimension of the close-up voice, and then the really distant re person you can barely hear. So that's what he meant, is that the microphone is generally up in your face, but our listening is, is our natural listening is, is very distant. So can we use the microphone to also record distant sounds? So you're excited when you're. Well, I just thought that was a fun moment of. Um, with, the, with the, I guess there was a crows or something in there. There happened to be crows. That was near my house. It's on the. It's called, called the Adawi Bridge, Adawi Crossing, and then I got this gorgeous sound of somebody coming from so far away, but I didn't use it because it didn't work. There was lots of sounds I didn't use because they just didn't fit. So there's the, there's a whole other piece. In fact, there's an app called the Soundscape app that that does. Um, environmental field recording. So I'm going to do a, a series of, of outtakes from the piece for them. Because winter sounds, people don't necessarily think of winter as a place for sound, you know, because there's, there's a less bird sound and, you know, snow and... There's snow muffling. But it actually is a re really rich, crisp, beautiful place to listen to if you can, you know, get into conditions. And, and then as you say, car sounds, that that bus, the bus are buses are probably quieter than they used to be. Mm -hmm, I mean, yeah. th things have not necessarily gotten worse because mm -hmm. we, we 
in part, in part because of Murray's work yeah. and, and others of the World Soundscape Project, we're much more aware of sound pollution and sound noise. Well, and yeah, a lot of been things a lot of um, good know, work. legislation to, to fight. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Getting back to the idea about the microphone, have you read Marshall McLuhan's essay on how the microphone completely changed our relationship to God? <laughs> to God? Oh, yeah, yeah, it's fascinating. <laughs> no. What he does is he talks about how the introduction of microphones just brought everything too close. And it's, it's about acoustics in cathedrals. It's really a fascinating essay. But it's just like he says, it, you know, it's like the proximity, you know, has really, really changed our relationship to the world. I can send it to you if you'd like. Oh, yeah, that's, that's of interest. Because Mary talked about Marshall McLuhan's mm -hmm. perspective, perspectives on inside and outside. Mm -hmm. And it, it was hard to do justice to inside outside, right? Because mm -hmm. I, I I didn't want to orchestrate it so much that it's all literal. Some of it is evocative, but uh, you know, if you were to, to really illustrate it, you would have this beautiful sounds of people talking to each other inside, and then the, the harsh emptiness of of cold, and the crispness of cold and the warmth. And he's saying that in Canada we're we're warm inside with our friends now, less so with the COVID pandemic, but and that and that we tend to be outside uh, alone outside, whereas there are other cultures. It's their outside cultures, you know, say in the more warmer temperature, and, and you're more alone inside. That's a very interesting dichotomy. Yeah. Um, I remember I read somewhere, it was in one of the soundscape journals a long, long time ago, but someone from a hot southern country had said, you're so lucky in Canada that you have this winter time, this pause of silence. Mm -hmm. He says, in hot countries, you never get that. It's right. bustle, bustle, bustle right. all the time. Mm -hmm. It's, you know, the same intensity of sound. And we've got the muffling of the snow, which really makes makes a difference. I had trouble deciding how close to put the mic to get what what level of, proc of presence did mm -hmm. I want to have. Because Robin, I recorded him at this distance, and it had picked up the room, and it was actually quite lovely and warm. Whereas when I did my narration, I was about eight inches away because I wanted to have more of a, I want to be more in your face and I wanted him to be a bit more like, like we're talking now. Mm -hmm. So these things, you know, but at two inches can make a difference mm -hmm. in the microphone, yeah. like well, this yeah. and that are different. So mm -hmm. this quite a bit different. And then do you put reverb, do you EQ? Darren helped me with compression, which I, one of the things I learned this week, yeah. uh, how to, how to compress the voice so that it's more even, you know, things like that. Yeah. Yeah. The, the craft of sound not only design, but production. I mean, a place like NASA is good for that because it helps um, artists present their work, but also occasionally do residencies and use new equipment and, and like I say, have the time to, to explore new ways of working. And then, you know, I, 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 already, I mentioned this yesterday and I'll say it again, I have, I have an idea for my next piece, which came to me while I was going for a run just this week. And it's about, um, it's based on a, book by Vanessa Andriotti called Hospicing Modernity. I don't know if I'll end up doing it, but that's the idea I have now. And she writes a projection uh, into the future, into the year 2048, which is quite devastating because the, the likelihood of the things she talk about are very high, you know, climate change and uh, fascism and uh, uncontrollable disease, those kinds of things that are unfortunately uh, likely in our future. Um, what what that what that story and it's kind of a story because we don't know what's going to happen, right? But it's a projection. It's it's fascinating for me to illustrate or to work sonically with that, you know, in a positive way because not everybody dies 
in the end with this projection. That we go from 8 billion to 3 billion people. It's probably a good thing, but not a good thing because people die. Well, yeah. But anyway, good for the ones that are smart. so yeah. I'm interested. I'm, of course, I'm interested in climate change and environmental issues, but I'm also interested in, in taking this technique further, like quite a bit further. Uh, what I've learned this week, you know, because I'm a bit rusty as a composer. I've been 21 years as a bureaucrat. You know, I didn't. I did the simple soundscapes for a while, but I didn't really hone my craft, and I'm still rusty. But but as you get back into it your craft develops and you, you realize how to record and how to edit and what do you need and, and, and what works and what, and like some of the sciences are too long. Like I, I'll, I'll probably tighten it up. I could feel it. No, that's three seconds too much or this or that. And that concludes Making Waves for today. You were listening to Claude Schreier in conversation at the NASA North Media Arts Center. Join us next month for more from the Deep Wireless Festival of Radio and Transmission Art.